Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Okay, Jeff, this is a fun sermon to like to listen to. Is it a fun sermon for you to preach about community and church and just this beginning of the church and then kind of how our church is modeled after that? Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, it's, uh, as I think we'll get into this a little bit later. You know, it paints a very kind of, you know, positive, almost rosy picture of the church. And, you know, maybe we can look around and go like, Uh, maybe yes we could do better at this but um yeah i so the context is uh, obviously you know jesus has ascended he's promised power to the disciples to witness to him that suddenly happened on pentecost and peter preaches his message calling on people to turn from their sins and come to christ and three thousand people respond and now all of a sudden the church has this you know kind of awesome problem right like what do we do with all these people and I think Luke is, so this is the first of about five or so of these little summary snapshot pictures where Luke sort of steps out of the story and he's giving like a kind of a brief sort of like 5,000 foot view of Mm. like a summary of like, here's, and here's what happened as a result Here's So that's what this passage is. So the Holy Spirit has come. Peter has said, here's the promise, be saved. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and people respond to that. And now it's sort of like, here's what happened as a result of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I talked a little bit in the message about, uh, you know, different subcultures that we all kind of, you know, navigate through. And, and this is not like a subculture. This is like drawing us all together as God's people into a very unique kind of community that is not really like much else that we experience or maybe anything else in this world. And so, yeah, it's this great snapshot of, you know, on the one hand, we don't want to say it's like a to-do list for the church, but it, but it is a picture of God moving in powerful and positive ways through people responding to him and the kind of community that he's building his people together and and how the spirit is working and animating and what ends up happening as a result. And the, the real quick summary, of course, is we, we've got to know more about Jesus. Like, oh, my gosh, we had no idea this is who he was. And if that's really true, what does that mean for everything that we've kind of understood about the Messiah and what he was going to be like? And who is Jesus? And tell us more about everything that he did and what that means for our lives. And, and then they're like, and if that's true, I mean, again, remember, it's this huge group of pilgrims and Jewish worshipers from all around the Roman world, from all these different cultures. And they pretty quickly realize like, wow, that means like we're all connected to each other in a really significant way. And, and we have to be invested in each other's lives and caring for one another and We've got all these out-of-towners, and where are they going to sleep, and how are they going to eat? And um, there's still just the, like, the practical realities of 
needs within the congregation and how do we take care of that? And there's just this outpouring of generosity and sharing one another's lives and caring for one another. And this expression of all that in the context of worship and both, you know, structured services and, and formal worship patterns, as well as like gathering together in homes and breaking bread and praying and, uh, and, and still being outwardly focused, right? Like God is continuing to work through them to draw more people into this community. So it's just, it, yeah, it's like this really beautiful picture of, mm. um, not just what these people did, but yeah, I think generation after generation of believers have looked at this and said, like, that's a pretty healthy pattern. And God seems to be blessing that. So what do we learn and what does that look like for us? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's fun to preach through. It's, it's fun to think about. It's, it's challenging. It's humbling a little. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I, I just thought of a question as you're talking about what it looks like, you know, and I'm thinking, Hey, if we're doing these things, the way that we're called to the way that has been patterned for us by Christ and by these early, the early church, um, I think that the world or our culture or just even our community outside the church would look at it and be like, that's different. That is not the norm. So if that's probably the reaction of the world today, what was the reaction maybe for the people at the time? How mm. were, were these similar practices that were like already a part of the culture, like gathering together in oh. this way and being generous in this way? Did this kind of go against the grain of society then too? Oh yeah, it totally did. Uh, it, this was not, I mean, this totally stood out from, from life as usual, especially in the Roman empire. I mean, the Roman empire, I mean, the Romans brought about peace in the, in a large swath of the Mediterranean world. But as, as somebody said, it was peace at the point of a spear, like they're in charge. And yeah, I mean, as far as like an imperial power, they kind of had a loose hand, but it was definitely might makes right. And you don't go up against the power of Rome. And that was just kind of the society they lived in, like very hierarchical, very structured, very much law and order and everyone looking out for themselves and their masters and their slaves. And, uh, you know, it, it's about the strong rule the weak. And that was the Roman world that could be very cruel and vicious in very significant ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and in contrast to that, there was still, of course, the people of God is, is covenant, the Jewish covenant people who, yes, tried to model a different kind of way of being in the world as a community, but it was within that very tightly knit community. There, there was care and there was compassion, but, but probably not still even at this level. Mm -hmm. that, that these first Christians are expressing. I mean, the idea of saying like no one considered their own possessions as their own, but they would sell land and possessions and give them, you know, make them available to anyone who was in need. I mean, that's just, obviously we can read that now and it sounds radical because it is radical. Like the mm -hmm. idea that hey, I have a car and if you need it, yeah, take it, use it. Uh, if I need to sell you know, if I have something extra and you can use it or I can sell it and give you the money to make it available for you, that's totally countercultural. And I think it stood out even more maybe in their day because there was, we live in a very, very individualistic society, right? Like where the, the natural tendency is we have to work to create community. 
Mm -hmm. and, and we have to like create organizations and structures and uh, you know, ways for people to come together and that wasn't the pattern in the ancient world. Uh, there, there was just more communal life and people had more of a sense of belonging to a community, but it was not necessarily a loving, mutually supportive community. It was, you know, you had your role and your place in society and you didn't expect that there was going to be compassion or generosity or self-sacrifice except maybe within your family unit and your extended family, but not among a group of people that have come together out of a transforming spiritual experience that has redefined their identity and their values. That mm -hmm. is, was, and still is totally countercultural because it's not the natural way of being a human mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. where we look out for our own interests and maybe the interests of people in our extended family. Um, yeah. But to say like, oh, these people actually are my family in a profound and real way. And I'm going to literally love them and sacrifice for them as a brother or a sister. Mm -hmm. That was just as radical then as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, Jeff, how does this passage push back on people who just say, oh, all you need is the Bible. Like, I don't really need my church community or a church or you know, like had friends who are like, honestly, as long as I have Jesus, as long as I've got the word of God, I don't really need, I don't feel like I need to be a part of a church community. How does this passage kind of like challenge that? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's, again, first of all, I think a reflection of our very individualistic kind of American Western cultural uh, belief system that is really challenged here. I mean, I, I you look at this passage and it just jumps out at you, obviously. They're, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like they're, they're coming to the apostles and sitting at their feet and saying like, we, you need to tell us, you need to teach us, help us understand. What, what don't we know that we need to know? Uh, they're, um, living together with one another and recognizing through the work of the spirit and uh, the apostles teaching that they belong to each other in a, in a profound and transformative way. And they're, you know, they're obviously intentional to look out for each other and needs that they're, that exist in their community. Like this is part of our identity. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because if that's, who Jesus is and what he is like, then that's who we're called to be. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're getting together very intentionally, not just for corporate worship, but breaking bread in their homes and, uh, you know, living together in a way that's a witness to, to the kingdom that Jesus has come to inaugurate. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, Peter is yes, appealing to them. You could say at an individual level, like, you specifically, you need to be reconciled to Jesus. But theologically, you, you can't say that without acknowledging to be connected to Jesus is to be connected to everyone else who's connected to Jesus. And, and the language is not explicit here, but, you know, Paul later is going to draw on this imagery of, you know, Christ is the head and we're members of his body. And, you know, how can the head say, I don't need the hand? Or, you know, how can, how can the 
hand say, I don't need the foot or how can, you know, how can we look down on other parts of the body and say like, well, I don't need that. That imagery of a body is like, it's when you start to think about it, that's real. That's so obvious. What they're living out here is we're connected to one another. We, we, God has put us together and made us a community together. I, I mean, I'd really call into question how well somebody really understands the gospel and, and how well they really can understand what it means to follow Jesus. If, if somehow you've got the idea that it's just me and Jesus and I don't need anyone else. That, that just flies in the face of everything we see being lived out and explicitly taught in the mm-hmm. New Testament. Um, we, we come to faith ourselves, but, but it's never a faith that is alone. It, it's always being baptized into a community. That, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's even literally what's happening here. Like they're, they're being baptized, which means they're, we're dying to an old kind of way of life and rising to a new life that's defined by being part of the people of God. Yeah. I cannot be what Jesus intends me to be on my own. It's, it's just simply not possible. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I can't do good things. It doesn't mean I don't know Jesus, but it means God has put gifts and resources and things in me that the rest of the body needs. I am part of a body. Yeah. And, and there's no hand. How can a hand be healthy? And, and also there's things that I'm learning and experiencing in a positive way as I'm walking with Jesus and through prayer and, and worship and, and studying his word that God intends for me to pour out into other people, right? Like that's, I'm, I'm shortchanging somebody else and other people in the body of Christ by, by keeping this to me. So it, you know, I understand, I can understand one just culturally because yes, we're, we're individualistic and that's, that's the world we live in. I can understand pastorally and personally, like maybe people have struggled to find a healthy church to get connected in. Maybe they've been really hurt. Maybe they've even been abused and taken advantage of in the church. And man, that's horrible and tragic. And, and I would not say to someone like that, well, you know, you're wrong for not being in church, but you know, if you need a season to heal, to process, to reflect, um, sure. I understand that, but that's not the normal pattern. I need other people in the body of Christ to help me grow into what it means for me to be a healthy disciple of Jesus. Yeah. So Jeff, something you just um, said there recently, just talking about like the hardship and the challenges that come up with Mm -hmm. living in community. And this passage just paints a beautiful picture. So when we chatted last week about, hey, what's next? And you said, all right, these three people, 3,000 people have come to Christ. And Mm -hmm. now we need to figure out what the church is going to do. What's it look like? How does it act and behave? And my first thought is, that's tricky. How do you get all of these people to decide on how to agree of how to behave, what to believe, how to treat one another or whatever. And so of course this passage is like paints a really nice picture of the ideal. And yet we all know that there's a lot of hardship that comes along with living in close community with one another. So how is this hard? And then 
how do we respond when it's hard? Mm. Yeah, it it is. Uh, I, I'm I'm not going to say idealized picture. I mean, this is what they were actually doing. And right. and again, remember, Luke in this whole book is communicating to this Theophilus to help him understand in his context where have you come from? What story am I a part of? And and what is God doing in me and through me as as being part of His church? And so that's helpful for remembering like these summary statements. Luke is sort of, you know, stepping back from the story to give us this sort of picture of where we've come from and what the church is like and what it's intended to be. And at the same time, you know, you don't go very much farther into Acts where we're definitely going to come into all the mess and the problems and the challenges, right? Like, there's Ananias and Sapphira, like these people come who are followers of Jesus and, you know, want to get credit for having donated X amount of money when mm -hmm. they really weren't giving that much money. And that, you know, they were trying to boast about all, you know, how much, how much generosity they were expressing. And, and it was a lie. And, you know, God dealt with, deals with that pretty severely. And then, you know, you don't go much farther along and there's, you know, more challenges and struggles and turmoil and uncertainty. And they have to figure out what do we do with these Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ? And there's this dispute that arises between Barnabas and Paul about whether or not they can take John with them on a missionary journey. And so Luke is also just very honest about the, the struggles and the challenges that, that they're wrestling through. And yet it's ultimately Luke is painting a picture of a story of the expansion of the gospel and how God is mm -hmm. guiding his church and working even through the disputes and the disagreements and the, the wonkiness that can happen inside congregations. And, you know, then this Paul that God's going to call, of course, becomes an apostle who writes most of the New Testament, and he's writing to some congregations that are really profoundly messed up in some ways. And yet he still calls them saints and beloved brothers and sisters. And if any, so, you know, I'd say that's probably what's going on here with Luke. Like his picture is these are saints. This is God's beloved community. It, it's, he's not pretending that there were no problems. But he, he's trying to, I think, give this picture of the church maybe as heaven sees it uh, and, and in, in our best light and in our best moments. Here, here are the amazing things that the Spirit is empowering in God's people. Mm -hmm. And no church lives up to all of these things all the time, right? Not the church in Acts. I mean, again, you, we're just going to go a couple of chapters and find out there's mess and there's selfishness and there's greed and there's dishonesty and we have to figure out how to deal with that. And yeah. so, yes, there's definitely brokenness and mess and wrong and sin in the church. And, and yet I think the takeaway from this passage is, and yet that's the community that God loves. Those, those are the people that the spirit is alive in and working in. And it's an always an opportunity for us to engage in self-reflection and humility and, come back to passages like this to remind ourselves of what we're aiming for and, and what God does do through his church and, and what it can and, and it can look like uh, as we're walking with him. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's meant to be, yeah, this idealistic picture of um, man, and they, you know, they just lived happily ever after. Because it doesn't, they don't live happily ever after. Uh, there, there's a lot of great stuff going on, but there's also, again, as we're going to go on, see brokenness and trauma yeah. and conflict and sin and mass and and yet even in that, God's working and God's redeeming and uh, and God's restoring and fixing and calling us back to healthier patterns and ways of living. Yeah. So Jeff, what if um, somebody is listening to this and they're a part of our church and they feel like, you know, I, I've been here and I've, you know, I've invested my time and I want to be a part of this community. And yet it's been, you know, a few years, a few months or however Mm. long, and they just feel like they don't have this, you know, they don't have this type of relationship or fellowship what's the next step someone could take or um Mm. something that Mm. like should they reach out so we can help them get connected what do you think oh yeah totally yeah of course uh and and that's why again it's not like community groups are the answer or men's ministry or women's ministry are the answer or you know finding a place to serve is the answer but those are some of the practical things that the steps that we can take to try and help people get connected and get to know one another. And I would say, you know, one of the things that's been encouraging too, to, to maybe flip your question uh, a little bit is to say to the people who have that, to the people who have the community and the blessing and the connection to not only be thankful for it, but to remember and recognize there are people that maybe don't experience that. And I, I think we do a pretty good job of, looking for maybe the people who are new, who, you know, aren't connected. But part of it is on those of us who do have the connection in the community and have felt blessed and encouraged and helped to be intentional to look for the people who don't have that. Sure. Uh, There's always the tension in every community of we, we get together, we, we build a community and we have the group of people that we know and, and we've gone deep with and, you know, they know our stories and that's awesome. And at the same time, then it makes it really hard for other people to break in and be a part of that community because there's just so many stories and things that we've lived together already. So I would say there's also an opportunity and a challenge for those of us who are connected to remember and be intentional and say, there's always an empty chair that we're praying that God will fill. And we're the people that God uses to help connect those who aren't yet connected. Mm -hmm. So it's not totally on the person who's feeling disconnected or yeah, I've tried that and it just, you know, hasn't clicked or whatever. It's that's a good prompt to remember uh, we need to be looking, all of us, for the people who aren't connected. And maybe even in some ways for that person who doesn't feel like they found that connection or the community or whatever, there's an opportunity as well to say, you know what, I bet there are other people who feel that. And maybe I could look for people who don't feel connected yet. As well as obviously, yes, reaching out to men's ministry, women's ministry, community groups, uh, finding finding a place to serve and start to get to know people in that way. Because I will say our ministry leaders, I think by and large at Faith Church do a really, really good job of creating yeah. community 
in the context of serving. And whether that's children or student ministry or FIAC or uh, other serving ministries here in the church, that builds connection and community as you're working together to serve other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good challenge. I appreciate that. And that's a good place to wrap. So thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Claire. It's been great. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.